everyone. Welcome to the NBA Agents Podcast. Are you curious about NBA student life in the US? Do you worry about how to navigate your NBA life? If so, you're at the right place. NBA Agents is here to empower you to overcome different challenges by sharing tips and recommendations from many other Asian NBA students. We want you to be prepared for the crazy NBA world. Are you ready? Let's get it. Hey guys, welcome to MB Asians. I'm Jacob. And I'm Jay. Today's American culture we want to share is tip culture. Most of Asian countries don't have it, so many of Asians are confused when they are tipping. Today we invited our friend Tay to talk about tip culture together. Hi Tay, could you, pre- could you briefly what tipping is in the United States? Sure. Hi Jacob. Hi Jay. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, I want to start with why tipping exists in the U.S., right? Or in some other countries, whereas Asian countries don't have that much of a tipping culture. Um, My my understanding is the biggest factor um, for the existence of tipping culture is that restaurant owners are um, putting onus of paying the servers or partly putting the onus of paying the servers to customers um, because there's a different minimum wage rule for customer-facing employees in some of these um, industries. So um, there is a lower minimum wage requirement for people who are being tipped as part of their um, work. And as such, they can pay lower minimum wages and uh, make up for the differentials in terms of pay through tips for their employees. Good to know. So how much do you usually tip? Because I do 15 to 18, but I know there is no rule. And sometimes I'm confused, like, how much do I have to tip? And Sometimes I get embarrassed when I see my friend's bill who has more tip than me. So, like, what is your usual range of tipping? You guys, both both of you guys. Yeah. For me, I I usually just tip 15%. Um, I guess that's what I learned from other friends um, who's American, saying that 15 is kind of a minimum and really depends on the service that um, they provide. And then if, if you do feel like they um, really provide you with a really, really good service, and then you can tip more, um, you know, it's up to like 25%. Yeah, I would say about the same, anywhere between 15 to 25%, um, depending on the type of restaurant, uh, type of you know, whether it's lunch or dinner and so on. So on lower end, I'll pay about 15% um, at, at minimum. But if I go to fancier restaurants, I'll pay around 20 to 25%. But then that changes when you go to cafes and just order three, $4 coffee uh, and you receive good service. I, I don't want to just pay them, you know, 45 cents or 60 cents. Right. So I'll put a dollar or two um, as, as tip. Do you guys have any fun, like 
fun stories about tipping? Yeah, I can share one. When I first went to, so I, I was in Canada and it was our first time going to a restaurant in North America. Uh, my parents and I were thinking 15% tip on on pre-tax prices. And that was our understanding. But when when we tipped and left the restaurant, the server actually came out of the restaurant and followed us and complained that we only tipped them anywhere between, you know, like 10 to 12%. It was an embarrassing experience, but um, I still don't understand if it should be pre-tax or post-tax. So like there is so much confusion around this culture that, um, you know, that, you know, both parties that customers and employees may, may not be happy with. Interesting. I would be like, I would be really scared when the server came out and like chasing me. That's a little yeah. bit scary movie. It's like zombie movie. <laughs> I also have a, some fun story. Like when I ordered Domino Pizza online, oh, it happened last year when I came to United States because I'm not familiar with this tipping culture and I didn't tip during the online buying procedure. And when the delivery guy came to my home, like he like suddenly talked to me like you didn't tip me, so I was a little bit puzzled. But just I gave him two dollar, and then that's the moment how I can get my pizza box, which was interesting. And yeah, I think since since I don't I grew up in the culture of no tipping and like every service fee includes the servers, waiters, um, labor. So sometimes I know I, I, I respect this culture, but sometimes I'm a little bit confused about tipping. What about you, Jacob? Yeah, so you guys mentioned about like we're tipping like less so that, um, you know, got chased or um, got um, got some trouble with um, the, the delivery guy or the waiter. But for me, I actually did a over tipping. So which by the time we left the, the restaurant, um, the waiter was with a big smile on his face and then <laughs> wanted us to just, you know, um, welcome us to, to come here next time. Um, so I, I actually the story is that because I was going to, I was I went to a uh, restaurant with um, um, six of my friends. So we went there and then um, after we, you know, finished everything and then we're about to leave, we tried to close our tab. And then we just, you know, normally we just tip in, right? Like 15, 18%. And then uh, not until a um, few days after I realized that, I think in the, in the U.S., um, most of the restaurant, if you were um, eating with a larger party, um, you know, like over six people, uh, that many restaurants will, you know, add a mandatory tips um, around, I think it's around 80, 18%. Um, so that you actually don't have two tips again. So that situation we didn't know. So the guy actually, you know, got I don't know maybe thirty-five to forty percent of the tip. Um, I guess that's why Lucky he's so happy about it. I know, <laughs> I know, that's crazy. Um, but I mean, that's also a lesson learned for me. So next time, if I went with a you know a large party, I'll check the the bill first whether they added the tip already. So today's lesson is you have to see your bill before you're tipping. 
like it includes tips or not, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like when you're, you don't have the tipping culture, you never need to worry about that. You just pay whatever's on the the bill. You never thought about that. Um, so I guess that's something really new um, for me. I guess for all the international students as well. By the way, Tate, is there any difference of the amount of tip among states? No, I, I don't think there are any differences across states. The differences usually come in terms of food price. So, you know, adjusting for cost of living and all that, you know, if you order food or if you go to a nice restaurant in New York, it's inevitably going to be more expensive compared to some of the smaller cities in other states. But in terms of the percentage that I would pay for the service and for tip, um, it will stay anywhere between 15% to 25%. Yeah, I think a tipping culture is not just for restaurants. Um, I learned that um, if you go to the bar or you go to the like um, hotel or even you know taking a taxi or Uber, um, you have to tip. And even now, like during pandemic, you're at home, a lot of people using a food delivery service. That's crazy. You have to pay not just for the food, but also pay for like service feed and then pay for tips. And sometimes that, you know, the, the extra, like the service fee and tips is even more, cost me more than my food. So I hate it. That, that, that is really crazy. But um, I guess in terms of like what I mentioned in different kind of scenario how should i decide how much should i tip that's a that's a great question that i'm still confused about to be honest right? <laughs> uh, yeah general rule i would say i i would try to tip at least 15 percent, regardless of what kind of service you are getting so mm -hmm. um so if i was taking a taxi out of an airport i would stick with you know, around 15 to 20% tip. Um, but then if you take that to Uber where tip is not mandatory or, you know, an expectation and you can put uh, tips after the fact, after your rides, uh, my, my behavior slightly changes where I go a little cheaper uh, or a little lighter in terms of the amount that I tip. Um, and it's, it's the same thing for delivery, um, food as well because my reasoning for that and it's again it's all personal experience and it, there's no right answer but my experience with delivery or delivered food is you're not sitting down at a restaurant you're not getting water served you're not getting drinks served you're just getting your food delivered to you so i i would just tip them slightly less maybe not in terms of percentage but just in terms of dollars right anywhere between like three to five if it's smaller meal um or you know anywhere between like two to five and um maybe if it's a uh, it's you know like a lot of food that you order for a larger party. I may tip anywhere between five to ten ten dollars, but usually I don't tip more than ten dollars to um, to the delivery food. So so what I what I understand through our conversation is tipping is also difficult for Americans, right? 
It's difficult for me, for sure. <laughs> okay, Ted, thank you for sharing your insights and your experience to our audience and MBA guests. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Today, we are going to talk about how to prepare yourself for MBA journey. For me, even just trying to prepare for a short trip can take me a few hours to be ready. Not to mention that I have to prepare for moving across the world to another country to live for two years. There are so many things that need to be considered, but the preparation is actually very important. If you can get your MBA journey off to the good start, it will definitely help your experience in the long run. Let's welcome today's guest, Neha Dariche, who is a rising MBA2 student from Michigan Ross to share her experience with us. Hi, Neha. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jacob. How are y'all? It's good. It's totally fine. Thank you for your time today. Let us talk about your background first. Where are you from and what did you do before coming to the MBA? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Neha from Hyderabad. It's a city in southern India, and it's very, very famous for a delicacy called biryani. If you haven't already tried it, you should definitely go get some biryani. Anyways, before Ross, I worked in the tech industry as a product manager for five years. Um, so I started my professional career at a social chat messaging startup called Hike Limited, where I worked on various customer-facing features like messaging and group chats. Then I moved to a tech giant, where I handled research intelligence in South India. By the end of my fourth year of working, I realized that I really wanted a break from work and I wanted to spend some time building core business skills. That's when I decided that B-School was the way for me. Could you share why you specifically thinking about Ross for your MBA program? Yeah, sure. There are many, many reasons why I chose Ross over other schools. But before I dive into those, I have to say that every school has very unique offerings and it's usually up to you to decide where you fit in the best. I personally felt that Ross offered me exactly what I was looking for. For starters, Ross has a very collaborative pay-it-forward culture. Everyone here is invested in your success. From students to alumni and from professors to the admin team, you will always find someone who is more than willing to support you and shower you with the resources you need to succeed. All that is expected in return is that you return the favor by helping another student in need. Uh, the second reason why I chose Ross was because of this amazing immersion program called MAP. It stands for Multidisciplinary Action Project, as I'm sure you already know. Um, here we work with a company or any organization to help them solve a specific business problem. Although we had a map online this year, I would say that it was one of my one of the best experiences I've had so far. As a student, you get to spend the first one and a half semesters learning the foundations of business. And then during MAP, you get to work with a team of peers and you get the chance to practically apply everything you've learned so far. Uh, the third reason was the access that I got to this huge pool of alumni, not only within the Ross Circle, but also across the entire University of Michigan community. I did not anticipate the importance of having a good network back then, but I realized it as soon as I entered the school. As an MBA student, one of the most valuable resources you get is your network. And Ross gave that to me on a golden plate. Trust me when I say this, 100% of the alumni I got in touch with during my recruitment season responded back and helped me in some way or the other. 
Yeah, I think for me, collaborative culture is also the main reason that I decided to come to Ross for my MBA. So um, let's dive into um, today's topic. So we know that you are actually got ad- admitted um, to Ross from round one. So that makes you have around nine months-ish um, the time before you actually fly into the U.S. So I was wondering, um, when did you actually quit your job? And then why? Yeah, sure. So I stopped working around two months before starting school. I basically wrapped up all my pending company work and I intentionally took a break because I did not know when I would be getting some downtime again. Um, During this time, I got in touch with other Indian students who were joining Ross. Uh, For this, there's usually an admits group that people create. One should be able to find this by getting in touch with fellow admits if you already know who they are. Or you can also find this group by reaching out to the current student community at Ross. Uh, Another good way to find common uh, common admits or fellow admits is by searching on forums like GMAT Club. Um, so basically, I've met my fellow admits for casual conversations a number of times over the summer. This helped us form those early friendships, which eventually developed really well over the next one year. Um, but honestly, I would recommend spending some time on hobbies that you always wanted to engage with, but never had the time to do it. I personally picked up some hobbies to keep myself engaged during my off time. I did a bit of gardening. I did some mandala, a little bit of embroidery, and I also built some DIY art with a very old childhood childhood friend. I, f- I felt that it was a great way to keep yourself busy. At the same time, you will also have a lot of interesting things to talk about with your future classmates. Yeah, those are really great um, recommendations. And then I really do think that creating a hobby is really important um, while you're like thousands away from your home. So... For my next question, I wanted to ask, is there any specific things that you wanted to do um, if you can go back to that period before you um, actually fly into U.S.? Well, to think of it, I probably would have done a couple of things differently, although I have no regrets. Uh, there could have been two things that I probably would have done differently. <laughs> well, uh, the first thing is that if I knew any better, I would have spent my time learning how to cook. Uh, so just to give you some context, I ended up skipping a lot of meals in college or I ate outside regularly because I was just very lazy to cook. Or sometimes there was so much workload on a given day that I just did not find the time to cook. Um, so my advice to myself from a year ago would have been to spruce up the cooking skills I had just to prepare myself for college. But I guess that won't be a problem for most students who are joining us now. Because I'm sure the quarantine season has converted many amateurs into master chefs. Um, yeah. The second thing that I probably would have done different was to do some casual reading to prepare myself for school. So I graduated from an engineering school and I worked in tech for five years. And after joining business school, I realized that I was studying most of the core classes like accounting, finance, economics, all of these for the first time ever. And to be honest, uh, paying attention in classes is just more than enough to grasp the subject. But if I were to do it again, I probably would have done some leisure reading, like just very leisure reading to catch up with the basics and catch up with my fellow students who are familiar with these subjects. But honestly, I wouldn't stress too much about this. This, Like I said, there's more than enough time to learn all the subjects after joining school. I agree with your saying, especially the cooking, because... 
Like when I was in Korea, I never cooked. And when I came here, I missed a lot about Korean food, but I didn't know how to cook that. So every time when I want to eat something, I called my mom. So I bothered my mom a lot and I'm asking, hey, mom, how can I cook this? How can I cook this? And she let me know every ingredient, how to cook them, which was great. So now I'm not saying I'm a decent cooker, but like it's getting better right now. And by the way, I think one of the most important thing during preparation period is housing. How did you decide between on-campus and off-campus option? What was your standard when you choose the house type? Yeah, this was a very interesting phase of my life. I'm someone who loves to look at random houses just for the sake of it, even if I'm not planning to move in. I, I just like looking at how the houses are structured, uh, what what object is placed where in the house and all. So I, I totally enjoyed um, those few weeks when I spent that I spent deciding which house I should move into. Um, so there were three primary options that were popular among in MBA students. The first one was on-campus housing, which included Munger, Woodbury, among a few others. The second option was off-campus apartments, which included the yard, the one that I'm staying in basically, and the more expensive 618 South Main, which is just opposite the yard, and a few other smaller apartments uh, on, on, a, on my way from the yard to Ross. The third option was off-campus independent housing which I totally ignored from the start because I was not comfortable enough to stay in an independent house right away. Uh, I primarily considered between the Munger, between Munger and the Yard because uh, both of them were within my budget and both of them had attached bathrooms, which again is not common in independent houses. And also as an international student, I wanted to stay in a place where I had access to the larger community, even during the coldest days of winter. I always knew that I wanted to stay in a place where there was an accessible community center with a bunch of amenities for the residents. Uh, so after going through multiple factors like rent per month, distance from school, amenities that were available, I, I narrowed down all my options to yard and manger, and I finally settled with the yard for two big reasons. The first one is that manger has a random room allocation for residents, which meant that I couldn't choose my flatmates. I'm sure that's a great way for some people uh, just to meet new people, but I personally wasn't ready for it because um, just to put it this way, I felt a little shy to stay with people that I do not know. Um, the second one is, the second reason why I chose Yard is that all Yard rooms have windows, uh, while only approximately 20% of Munger rooms have windows. So one might end up spending most of their time in school, and ideally, this would not have been a problem, but winters can be really, really dark, and sunlight really ends up becoming your best friend. So I, I did not want to compromise on the window window part of it. That was my uh, that was a nail in the coffin for me, and that was what made me choose Yard over Munger. I think, for me, um, when deciding the housing, the most struggling things is that I wasn't be able to be there and to actually see the house or the apartment and to decide whether it's that I, what I want. So um, I actually want to follow up with you. Um, how did you make the housing decision while you were thousands of miles away from US? Um, so we had a ton of support from this current student community. Uh, they shared a lot of resources with us about what are the available options. There was a PDF and a video 
both of which contained very valuable information about what 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 are the available options we had what are what are the price ranges what is the distance from school uh, what are some facilities or uh, retail stores available nearby how far is this apartment building or this uh, house from downtown so the pdf and the video both kind of described all of these options to me and i thought that yeah like it would have been great if i could have seen these places in person but uh, but i was comfortable just going through the photos and figuring out which ones were the right uh, which which apartment was the right apartment for me and also i did speak to a bunch of uh, students who helped guide me about what uh, guide me on what options were uh, available which one suited them the best and for what reasons for example um some apartments are really far away from ross and it can be an issue commuting it's difficult to walk in snow for 25 to 30 minutes and uh, still be attentive in classes so i knew that i wanted to stay at a comfortable distance from ross where i did not have to stress myself about uh, the daily commute and i felt like 15 minutes was decently good which is again the distance in which yard yard basically is 15 minutes away from yard uh, from ross so yeah that's how i ended up choosing my apartment yeah i think the videos really helped um be able to like seeing like how it actually looked inside of the house in an apartment and that excuse how i decided to live um where i am now um foundry loft so um kudos to that um ross providing those kind of video that for student to make the decision much easier So you mentioned about you lived in the yard which is a very ross um a lot of ross students um with a very strong community in that apartment. So there must be a lot of fun stories that um in 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 the yard. So I wonder is there any interesting stories you can share with us? Sure. There's not one particular story um but i usually hang out at one of my friends apartments which uh, acted as our hub for social gatherings we played fifa we cooked together we studied together and we also partied together in the same apartment well i've had many memories with them and also with the larger ross community uh, at the yard we've hosted multiple parties by the pool side yes there is a swimming pool in the yard <laughs> um sometimes we just sat beside the fireplace in the lobby and we played catan or code names all night long like i felt that w- those were one of the best moments out there because it's just so uh lively to engage with your friends and sit sit down and not worry about anything else that's coming up next um i kind of really miss catching up with everyone but hopefully when things settle down and when corona becomes a thing of the past the yard might just be ready to host larger gatherings again yeah i think living in yard like with your friends and with the strong communities is a really good thing especially under a uh, pandemic situation because i live alone and the reason why i chose living alone is like i want to keep my privacy and i think after having really difficult times in during the um class like academic it could be academics it could be networking i think myself needs some uh relax at home but sometimes i feel alone recently cuz like there is a no networking session right now under the covid-19 and i need some time to hang out with my friends so i i got jealous mm-hmm. of you 
So <laughs> I think we talk about a lot about housing. So let us go back to the preparation. I think adapting yourself into a new environment before starting MBA is really important. How much earlier did you come to the U.S. before the fall semester starts? Um, I came in one week before orientation to just get accustomed to all the surroundings here. I first landed in Chicago and I spent a day there roaming around the city. It was gorgeous. I love Chicago. But yeah, uh, all good things come to an end. So I took the Amtrak, which is the national railway service that connects Chicago to Ann Arbor. Um, and it's a four-hour journey. Uh, and once I was in Ann Arbor, I spent my time just getting some of the administrative stuff out of my way. I bought a SIM card for my phone and I shopped for some basic household stuff that I required over the next few days. I also attended a few social get-togethers with a bunch of other MBA classmates. It was a great way for me to like just get to know who I was going to study with for the next couple of years. I particularly remember attending this one party at a very popular house called The Compound. That was also the time when I first played beer pong. So yeah, I was, <laughs> I was just going to summarize that. I feel that the first, it's really important to just come a little earlier to settle down and get to know your surroundings because once orientation starts, it's going to be very busy and uh, you might really not get a lot of time for yourself. Uh, so that one week helped me feel comfortable with everything around me. Yeah, I think um, going to Chicago before actually coming to Ross was very smart choice. For me, I was just, direct coming from Taiwan to Ann Arbor. And then I just tried to settle um, here. I did get a chance to to do a little travel before the school starts. So I was really envy you. Um, and if I would give the tips to the incoming students, I would definitely make, make uh, ask them to do some travel before um, coming to Ann Arbor. So um, I wanted to ask you like right after you landing in the US, is there any challenges you're facing or what is the most difficult things that you think um, as an international student and first arrived in the U.S.? Yeah, there were a couple of things, actually. As minor as this may sound, uh, adapting to some of the nuances around here was one of the most complicated experiences I had after landing here. In the beginning, I definitely found it a little difficult to connect with people because there weren't a lot of common topics I could talk about. For example, people in Michigan love, just love football. And this is not the football that we all know about. It's played with the with hands instead of feet. It should have, I don't know why it's not called handball. But anyways, uh, fortunately, Ross held a football 101 session for students like me who have no idea about the sport. Um, I I feel like I couldn't I can never develop the passion that's there in the people here, but at least I can now follow conversations about what what people are talking about. Um, the second thing that I found a little difficult was to pick up on some of the pronunciations of specific words. I we're we're all coming in from very different cultures where we have different pronunciations or accents, and. Um, Sometimes I just do not catch what the other person was talking about. So I often found myself smiling throughout a conversation and just nodding my head frantically, <laughs> even though I do not catch one of the main keywords. It was a little embarrassing personally, but eventually everyone gets used to everybody else's accent. It just makes life easier after a few months. Yeah, your thing reminds me of my experiences. I also got 
exactly the same problems. Like, even though I like sports, I didn't know about football. So I also took the football 101 class and really I tried to learn about football. I listened to podcasts about Michigan football so that I can communicate with other Americans. And at the same time, I also had a really serious problem about hearing other people's sounds because I I was familiar with kind of American pronunciation, but not other countries' pronunciation. So when I talked with our cohorts, our friends, sometimes I just smiled and I'm thinking about, oh my God, what they're saying about. <laughs> I cannot understand that. So I was embarrassed a lot at the beginning yeah. of the semester, but now I get used to listening to other guys, the other pronunciations, and it might get better right now. So I think class of um, class of 2022 students' experience would be a little bit different from ours experience due to COVID-19. Still, you know, some of them haven't got their visa, so there are many problems about this coming year. Under COVID-19 situation, any specific advice for incoming students who will come to the U.S. soon? Yeah, I feel that uh, the one biggest piece of advice I can give is just to get accustomed to, to the virtual mode of communication, especially since most of the incoming students may start classes from their country of residency, it becomes even more important to get comfortable talking and participating in classes on Zoom. Um, a very big part of your MBA experience is your time that you spend in your class with your classmates and with your professors. I've honestly learned a great deal from the perspectives, the different perspectives that my classmates bring into the class. Uh, with everything going online, one might have to put in more effort than usual to make the best out of this classroom experience. And also, this is just going to become the new normal for at least next one year. Um, and also, these skills are definitely going to come in handy during networking or recruiting, which are also both virtual for the next academic year, at least. Yeah, I think even for um, us, the rising MBA2 student are still trying to adopt in those virtual meeting and virtual, virtual classes. And we're kind of learning by doing. And hopefully, you know, by the time that school starts, um, we will be really good at um, virtual stuff. <laughs> so um, our last question is that, what is the one thing you wished you had known before starting the MBA yeah, frankly, Ross was everything I had imagined it to be and much more. But uh, the one thing I wish I knew was that these two years would go away so fast. I'm done with one, but it honestly feels like it's just yesterday since I joined. Um, I also plan to graduate early and that leaves me with just six more months of school, which genuinely petrifies me. So I, I just feel that I wish I knew... Or I just I just wish I internalized the fact that time flies so fast. So just make the best out of your MBA experience. Um, try to try to engage in as many activities as possible, but don't overburden yourself and do not succumb to FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Just make sure that uh, you get the best experience possible, and it you should basically live. Uh, Live, live things, live life the way you want to live and don't let anything else get to you. I was totally resonated with you 
um, I think Jay has the same feeling. The time just like went so fast. It's like a year ago, I was still preparing for my journey. And now I'm here in US and then starting my own podcast. That was crazy. And then definitely um, really be really, really um, intentionally um, planning what you're going to do um, while you're here because you will be, sometimes you just like, you don't know what you have done, but the time just like gone. So I totally agree with you. So we really thank you for your time and sharing your experience with us and with the audience. Anytime. I'm very glad to be here and I'm very glad to share my experiences. I hope someone finds it useful. And thank you so much for having me over. Today's show was with Nia from India and Ras University of Michigan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. You can find us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. New episodes come out every Tuesday, U.S. time. Subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on MBAGians on Instagram and Facebook. And please share it with your friends. Stay tuned and see you next week.